Don't look at me like that. How would you like to follow that, huh? <laughs> wow. Thank you, hon. I congratulate the youth, Taylor, for a great week. Congratulate you guys. I want to ask you a question. It's fixed to be the 4th of July. What is it that threatens your freedom to live successfully for Christ? What is it that threatens your freedom to accomplish that? Think about that with me a moment. I want to lead us in prayer, and we're going to turn to the Scripture for the answer to that question. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to gather in this place. Lord, I thank you for friends that gather with us today. And, Father, for family that are with us today, Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege to join and worship together with them. But, Lord, we pray in these few moments, as you speak to the hearts of others by way of the radio, Lord, you'll speak to our hearts, that you will help us to grow and to mature in our faith. And, Lord, if there's one here with us today, and, Lord, we know there are, that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, give them the courage to trust and receive you, even this day. Guide us now, Lord, as we study your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let freedom ring. How do we do that? There's a passage found in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Now, if you have your Bible or you can watch it on the screen in a moment, notice what the Scripture says to us in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin. I want to read the first verse. And then for the sake of time, I want to pick up at verse 13 through verse 21 of the Scriptures. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of bondage or slavery. What is he talking about? You say, wait a minute, Brother Ken, I live in the United States. I'm free. You are free. You're free to go out there and borrow money and collect a lot of debt if you're not careful, all right? You're free to do a lot of things. You and I are not enslaved. We have the opportunity to decide what we're going to do with our life, what kind of education we want to get, what we want to try to work toward doing. We have a lot of freedoms. But spiritually, there are many things that can enslave you and I as Christians. As Paul writes to these believers at Galatians, they were about to become re-enslaved even though they were Christians. They were about to become slaves, if you will, to a bunch of ritualistic teachings. You can't do this and you can't do that. That had nothing to do with the Word of God. But then he tells us a second aspect that I want to pick up beginning in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. One of the things that so many times the devil lies to us about is he says, listen, you're a Christian. You're saved by grace. You're headed to heaven. Now, all that part's true. 
You've trusted Christ. You're saved by grace, not by your works or your accomplishment. Because of that, you're headed to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. But then he comes to the end of that and he says, since that's the case, just live like you want. Do whatever you want. Don't matter what kind of sin you commit. After all, you're already going to heaven. That is a lie from Satan. We are not free to just do anything we want. We are the children of God. We belong to God. Therefore, there are certain things God expects of us. Am I right? There are certain things He expects of us. But there are five things I want to look at carefully this morning that I think many of us become enslaved to. Now, all of these won't hit you. But there's a good chance this morning one of them will. As I look at my own Christian life, I have to ask myself the question, what do I so easily become enslaved to? What is it that for which I struggle? What is it that stands in my way as a believer to represent Christ in this world? And we all have them. First of all, I think we deal with the bondage of anger. Let me read you a few more verses of this text. He says, do not. Use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's the opposite of love. That's hate. That's anger. That's the mistreatment of one another. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, he's about to share several more we'll look at in a moment. Here's the point I want to make with. There are several things in which you and I can become bonded to or enslaved to. I think one of the ones that all of us as believers have to wrestle with is the danger of becoming enslaved to anger. There are many passages in Scripture that talk about this. I want to read the one found in Leviticus. Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. It says, Do not hate your brother. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the master, the Lord. Now, there's a real key element here. He says, when you and I bear a grudge, we become, if you will, enslaved to anger. Have you ever caught yourself kind of enslaved to anger? You can't let it go. You can't, you can't get rid of it. In Proverbs Chapter 29, 22, it says, an angry man stirs up dissension. Anger that is not dealt with will ruin your life. It'll overcome you. It will taint everything you see and everything you do. It'll lie just beneath the surface of your emotions and the slightest little thing will set it off. That is anger that hasn't been dealt with. The Bible calls it rage or wrath. It's something that we're mad about that we won't let go of. Now, that can happen to any of us. The Bible saw it so seriously in chapter 22, verse 24. Proverbs says, do not associate with one easily angered. He said, they're bad company. So when you and I allow anger and resentment and hurt 
from the past to rule our emotions. We're bad company. Because we create division among people. Why? Because there's an anger inside we just can't let go of. Let me give you an example from Scripture. There's a passage found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. And it's a simple story about King Saul and his young general, David. Y'all remember David? If you read that story, he has just slayed Goliath. He is the champion. Saul's son, Jonathan, just loved him so much, they became blood brothers. You know, y'all remember what blood brothers were? Some of you younger generation, you may not know that term. That means when you're so close to somebody, you just kind of claim them as your own. They became like blood brothers, and they loved each other dearly. But the time came that David became so popular, so successful, that as he is coming back from battle, Saul has prepared this great parade for everybody to participate in. And David is riding back on his horse. And you can see all of the army coming back. And the ladies are singing. They're singing praises to the army and all the success they've had. And as they're singing their praises, they sing, For Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that cuts Saul to the heart. Because they amplified his young general above the king. I'm going to tell you something, guys. That literally destroyed David. Saul, I'm sorry. The king became so angry he never, ever, ever got over it. He spent the rest of his life spending more time chasing after David, trying to get rid of him, than he did being a king. One time, he took 3,000 troops to try to hunt little David down. David looked at him and said, would you search after a flea? (laughs) I'm insignificant. Is there an anger inside you that taints everything you touch? Saul became obsessed with his anger and it dictated his steps and it ruined his life. That can happen to any of us if we're not careful. Emerson said of Abraham Lincoln, his heart was so great, it was great as the world, but there was no room in it for the memory of a wrong. That's one of the reasons he became such a great man. He refused to allow hate to rule his heart and his life. The world needs more godly men and women who refuse to let their hurts, their fears, and their frustrations turn to anger and not let it go. There are a lot of good people out there whose lives are enslaved by anger, by something in the past they can't let go of. There's a second truth. You may say, Brother Ken, I'm not angry. I'm not angry about anything. I'm good to go. I'm free. I can go home from church today and say, boy, I covered it, you know. There's a second bondage to which I believe many of us are fearful of, dealt with in these verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, does a better job of isolating it. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what's it talking about? The value of the Word of God 
of setting us free from the slavery of guilt. Why is that important? Because it cripples us. There are a lot of good godly people that can't do what God wants to do in their life because they can't let go of the guilt of the past. Guilt is real. It may be guilt over an abortion that happened a year ago or 40 years ago. Folks, I have known grown people to die of old age that had an abortion in their 20s or their teens that never got over it. Abortion is wrong. You know that, and I know that. But God is a loving, forgiving God. And when we look at and confess to him, whether it's abortion or whatever we've done, Lord, I have done wrong and my heart is heavy and it is burdened. God will take that burden out of our life. He has already forgiven you if you've asked him. You've got to let yourself forgive yourself. You can't erase it, but you can be healed from it. Too many miss that wonderful healing of loving God. It may be an affair in the past, an unfaithful action. When they sat down, she said, I've ruined our marriage. I've had an affair, and now my husband knows about it, and it's over. I said, it don't have to be. It's up to the two of you. It's wrong. What you've done is wrong. But the two of you can go to God and try to make it right. Guys, that's been over 25 years ago. Today, they're still happily married. You say, Brother Ken, I'd never do that. I'd never put up with that. We shouldn't have to. But I'm telling you, God has a wonderful way of helping us heal if we're willing to bring our guilt to God and ask His forgiveness. It may be a drunken accident that causes us to do something that we wish had never happened. Too many of us live in the guilt of the mistakes of yesterday. It may be a wrong done to another that ruined our reputation or crippled our life. But we don't have To allow guilt. Now listen to me. The devil wants to enslave us. By the mistakes we've made. Folks. They're wrong. They need to be confessed. But they don't need to cripple us. For the rest of our lives. Now I got three more. And I'm running out of time. So bear with me. Hold on. Third. There is the bondage of lust. Chapter 5, verse 13 of the book of Galatians. He goes on to describe it in verse 19. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. That, That one's just named out clear and plain. He said, don't let that enslave your life. Today, sex promotes everything from hamburgers to cologne, from cars to comic books. We use it for everything on the television. You ever watch that? I watched them sell hamburgers with a beautiful young lady with no hardly any clothes on, stealing it from some other guy. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because you're going to watch that commercial, right? Brother Ken, are you the only one in the room that saw that commercial? 
We use it for everything. Lust. Driven by sexual passions. Their lives are out of control. 19 million sex magazines sold every week in this country. That's a lot. From the magazines you look at to the movies you watch. From the internet sites you visit. If we're not careful, lust will enslave our lives. I've seen it happen to good men. I've seen more than one pastor lose his job because he got involved in pornography. Pastor that followed me 30 years ago in a church I served did a good job for a few years until they fired him for watching and looking at porn in magazines in his desk. What a mistake. What a life ruined. But guys, we can get enslaved if we don't watch it. If you feed this fire called lust, it will consume you. It will destroy your character. It will degrade the way you treat the opposite sex. Not only, it's not something you can hide in the closet and do and not impact who you are. It affects your personality, your attitude, your look, your behavior, and the way you treat other people. Out of control. It becomes a master. And we become the slave. I'm not kidding, guys. It's a dangerous, a dangerous bondage. Through the years, more than one have come to me and said, Brother Ken, I'm addicted. It could happen to any of you. There is the bondage of covetousness. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, these are also described in these verses, but in Hebrews 13, verse 5, let me give a quick example. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You may have conquered the moral danger. You may not have any trouble with guilt or anger. But when it comes to the dollar bill, you're slaved. I had an honest deacon tell me one year, Brother Ken, I got to admit, I'm tight. I'm selfish. That's my problem. I like to hold on to a dollar. I'm going to tell you one thing. There's one man that knew how to be honest, right? I had a pastor friend years ago had a famous sermon. He'd preach in his churches. It says, God loves a stingy giver. I thought about that a lot, but you know what his point was? For the person who's tight, that still loves his God enough to pay his tithe and serve the Lord, that's a man that can honor God. Does that make sense? Covetousness. What does covetousness mean? It is excessive desire for that that belongs to another. That's what gambling's all about. It's trying to figure out how they're going to get your dollar out of your pocket and their pocket, right? Covetousness. It can happen to the man in the gutter and it can happen to the man in the pulpit. It can happen to any of us. It is to want something so bad we're willing to take it from another. It doesn't matter how we get it, we want it. Someone has said today we work two jobs so we can drive to work in a better car. 
There's a lot of truth to that. We buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like. So, oh, wait a minute, Brother Ken. We're supposed to like everybody. No, we don't. We're supposed to love everybody. Now, loving is to treat them in benefit, to care about what happens to them. You're not going to like everybody. Some people are not likable. But that don't mean I can't love them and seek their benefit and try to be good to them, right? Maybe God will change their heart and make them lovable, right? I like the illustration of the monkeys in Africa. You want to catch a monkey, I'm going to tell you how. You cut a hole in a gourd. You stick his favorite food in the gourd. And he'll reach up in there and get a handful. You tie the gourd to the tree and what happens? That monkey's going nowhere. Why? Because he's not going to let the nuts go. I'm going to tell you, the devil has got a lot of God's servants with a handful of nuts. And covetousness is what has enslaved their lives. We buy things we can't afford. We put pressure on ourselves and our lives because we just got to have it. I remember some years ago there was something I wanted real bad. You ever had something you wanted real bad? I found it in a magazine and I turned the page around and I highlighted it and I laid it on the night side stand by my bed. Every night I'd go to bed, I'd fold a page over and I'd look at it and say, boy, I sure would like to have that. Finally, one night I got convicted about it. I said, I can't afford it. I don't need it. I just want it. I fold the magazine shut and throw it in the drawer. Why? Because that was the one time in my life I remembered you don't need that. You ever been there? Covetousness. Now, how many times have we done the opposite? It can enslave our life. Folks, there's not anything wrong with having things you like in life. But if it burdens down, puts your marriage in jeopardy because you can't pay the bills, that's just plain covetousness. Does that make sense? If you can afford it and you want it, that's up to you. But don't let it ruin your life. One last thought, and my time is almost gone. There is the bondage of poor values. Now, what is values? Let me go back to our passage in Galatians. I want to read one even clearer, found, rather, found in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 2 Peter. Well, I'm sorry, guys. I wrote, oh, that's 1 Peter. No wonder it don't look right. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Though these, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, the idea is the Holy Spirit of God helping us to live the Christian life, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. The word here is the word virtue. Now, what it literally means is this. Moral, moral, and ethical behavior. It's doing what's right. Ten Commandments, a good example of doing what's right. The idea is many of us become or find ourselves in bondage to poor values. What that literally means is we have allowed ourselves to live immorally, unethically, and guys, it will destroy our lives. We think, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Don't matter what I say, where I do. You know, if I lie, steal, cheat, curse, immoral, that is an unethical and an immoral life. Poor values will cause us to live irresponsibly, causing us to suffer the consequences of our choices. Someone has said character has been defined as the ability to determine right from wrong and then make ourselves do what's right. There are three reasons we need to conquer the slavery of poor values. Number one, God will judge us on our lack of character. Corinthians says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God holds us accountable to live like a Christian. Simple as that. Secondly, we rob ourselves when we live unethical and immoral lives. He came to his son. He was a contractor, and he said he was wealthy as he could be. He said, son, I've got a client. I want you to build a house for him. Spare no expense. He gave him an enormous sum of money, a fantastic blueprint. He said, I want you to build this house for me. Son thought to himself, here's a chance to make some extra money. So he squandered most of the money away. He still built the house. But everywhere he could cover it up, he used substandard materials. Now, believe me, there's plenty of substandard materials out there. He finally got the house built. He carried the keys to his dad, and he thought nobody will ever know. I've got all this money pocketed on the side. The house is built. Nobody will ever know. And then his dad looked at him. And he said, son, that special client is you. The keys are yours. I wanted to build this house for you. Folks, when we live lives with poor values, the person we rob the most is ourselves. Live immoral life, you live to regret it. You steal and cheat at the job, you live to regret it. We rob ourselves of the blessing of God. We rob ourselves of the respect of others. You live an immoral life. You live an unethical life, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever. You may think you're getting away with it, but there is no respect of your peers for you when you choose that way of life or for me. And we negatively influence those that we love. They're following our footsteps and they're watching our actions. It's the bondage of poor values. How do we conquer? We're honest with ourselves and confess our sin. We choose a godly role model and we're careful to choose our environment. Who we spend our time with. Bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible's clear. And we don't give up. 
let freedom ring. May God help us to conquer the bondage of anger. Ask God to help you let it go. To conquer the bondage of guilt. Forgive yourself. To conquer the bondage of lust that can taint who we are and how we treat others. To conquer the bondage of want that will make us do things that we will regret. And the bondage of poor values that destroys the very fabric of our life and gives a bad example for those we love to follow. It's 4th of July. It's time to celebrate, not to give in to the things that Satan wants to do to conquer our life, but to find freedom. And we can if we will let the God that we love help us and commit ourselves to his leadership and to his conviction. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. Lord, I know that we're not guilty of all these things. But Father, if we have heard one today with which we struggle, help us to be honest with ourselves, to commit that issue to you and find your healing and your strength to be set free from that that is far too long enslaved our lives. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray.